0: Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, the show dedicated to pets and the people who love them. Brought to you by DrRogerHolisticVent.com, the place for safe and effective natural healing for dogs and cats. Now, here's your host, practicing veterinarian, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, practicing veterinarian, coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. We are not live for this show. Uh, For a little bit of a change, I I did pre-record this show. I do prefer to go live, but circumstances, craziness going on right now dictated that I had to do a pre-recorded show, which should be fine because the majority of our listeners really tune in by archive anyway through iTunes. So welcome back to the show. There will be no live call-ins tonight. And incidentally, we actually don't have any uh, listener emails uh, this week. So we can dive right into our topic this evening. Has the cost of veterinary care skyrocketed? The common perception that I've been coming across, not just among clients of my hospital, but among people, you know, everyday pet owners that may email me or correspond with me, you know, through my media work or on Facebook or what have you, that the general consensus in most pa- places, most areas, is that people feel like the cost of veterinary care is getting out of control, that it is exceeding the rate of inflation, that something has occurred, you know, sometime in the last five to ten years where it's just seemed to accelerate. And the question is, <clears throat> is this perception correct? Are people right? And that's what I want to discuss today because like most things I talk about, it's not really a direct answer, an easy answer. I I think in some ways they are correct. In other ways it is a perception, not necessarily reality. And I will get into the nuances of that. So really what it comes down to is, you know, what are we talking about? So I think in the case where pet owners are absolutely correct is at the level of referral medicine. So referral medicine is Basically, specialists that have not just access to a higher expertise through residency postdoctoral residency training, board certification, all that good stuff, but also the the access to very technical high- level diagnostics that you're not going to typically see in general practice, such as CT scan, MRI, endoscopy, although increasingly you're seeing more endoscopy in general practices. But uh, things of that nature, hy- hyperbaric chambers, you don't typically see. And um, hyperbaric chambers is actually a uh, topic we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks, and uh, there'll be more on that later. But you know, these things are very these are very expensive modalities, and if they're not being used all the time, it, it, the the cost is not really justifiable. Also, <clears throat> a general practitioner isn't necessarily all that commonly going to ne- you know go, go down the road of of really having to become highly trained in order to utilize these diagnostics, interpret them, what have you. So we we will leave that sometimes to the specialist. So in that realm of medicine, so whatever, whether you need to your pet needs to be referred for a gastroenterology uh, workup with an internist <clears throat> where that internist may be performing endoscopy. Or we have to refer for say a spinal surgery to a board certified neurologist or a board certified uh, surgeon. Or we're referring to a really bad skin case that we just don't have the resources to control, uh, whether it's skin allergy, out of control, mange case, what have you. We may refer to a dermatologist. I think for me, the most common case that I'm going to refer to, you know, in my practice, we are very, very, very proactive and just constantly engaging in, in continuing education to do as much as we can in-house for the reasons I will discuss in a little while, Um Ophthalmology for me is is something that I don't really get heavily involved in. I think when it comes to the eye, we're talking about a very highly technical area of expertise. Uh, the the equipment necessary is is something that you don't just learn overnight. Even doing post doctoral advanced training, like when I did the reconstructive uh, surgery of the knee, you know, which is a, a pretty intense, uh, pre- pretty intense area of study where I spent an entire week just you know, learning different reconstructive techniques. Ophthalmology is not something you can really do that with. You really need that res- residency training, at least from my perspective. I don't play around with eyes. I will treat what I can treat. It starts to reach a certain level, an ulcered eye that I can't necessarily get to heal, or glaucoma, or something of that nature. I'm going to refer that to an ophthalmologist. And again, that's another area of specialty. So what we've seen in the last decade, of course, we're all familiar with the Great Recession, and its impact in all of the ways it's impacted our whole society. But for the first time since the 70s, the veterinary profession was very negatively affected. affected. And we actually saw for the first time, and there's been many recessions between 1970 and now, but for the first time ever, veterinary medicine saw a decline. We actually saw a correction. That's actually never happened. The average rate of growth of the veterinary industry has been 4% through every recession up until 2008. So we saw a correction in growth, and a lot of that was because, you know, people were frightened. People simply didn't have the resources. Some people are still reeling from that whole mess. And as a result, it it became a choice of, do I feed my children or do I get my, my dog or cat treated? And really, that's what it came down to. So, you know, Veterinary medicine as a whole, whether you were a general practice, whether you were a mobile shot clinic, whether you were a high level referral center, there was a decline in patients. And this was especially felt at the referral level. And as a result, you know, they, they had this, these, these state of the art hospitals that are staffed 24-7 that have to pay specialists. The one near us is, that we refer to has Several specialists: a a neurologist, an internist, a dermatologist, a internal internist with a a special area of expertise in cardiology, so a cardiologist. They have um, also a a board-certified surgeon, and and so you know when you look at the magnitude of having to pay these specialists, also be able to afford the all that high-end equipment while at the same time having to have all that high-level equipment supported, keep the lights on 24-7, you're talking about a phenomenally huge overhead. I mean, it's daunting. I know I know the overhead of running a general practice, a two-doctor general practice, and that is overwhelming at times. I can't imagine what it must be at the referral level. So what, what they did as a response to the Great Recession is, They jacked up their prices. So, okay, we're going to see less patients. We are not getting the referrals we're used to getting yet. We have to cover this nut, essentially. And I saw across the board, not just this particular one near us, but there was one further north. There was one out in Orlando. You saw these prices all just get jacked up. And it it did go up. I mean, in some cases, in the last, I would say, six or seven years, so since 2008, since the Great Recession, rather than... Them have to price down some things like in a lot of cases general practice had to do. You saw prices go up 80 to 120% on, at the referral level. A perfect example is pre-2008, I could refer a spinal case. So let's say we have an intervertebral disc herniation. It is impinging on the spinal cord, uh, spinal nerve root signatures and the patient is paralyzed in the back legs. Well, you do a, de- you know, decompression surgery. We have a 75 plus percent success rate, ninety five plus percent success rate if there's still some feeling. If there's no feeling, we still have a seventy five percent plus success rate. If there's some feeling but you know we're paralytic as far as use is concerned, but you pinch the toe they can feel it. You know, ninety five plus percent success rate, you know, it's worth referring, it's worth going for. You could save that pet's life. The problem is that back in, you know, pre two thousand eight you can do that for about, you know, three, 000, four thousand bucks. That same surgery just Six years later, we're talking $8,000. And, you know, I don't know about you folks, but, you know, I I, I I like to think I make a decent living. I don't know if I, I could sink $8,000 into one of my pets knowing that I have to save for my children's college. I got two. I have a mortgage to pay. Uh, you know, there's responsibilities. And, and, of course, the children, as they get older, get more expensive, and they have needs. You know, I just... I I hope it would never come down to that for me, but let's face it, this stuff happens. It happens all the time. That's why these referral centers are in business. So, you know, that's just one example. And across the board, though, this has occurred. I referred a case not long ago for colonoscopy. Colonoscopy, you know, used to be somewhere around 700 700 bucks all said and done, your general anesthesia, your, your endoscopy, the biopsies you need to take. The histopathology to analyze the biopsies about 700, 800 bucks. Now six years later, the same thing I refer to cases 1,800 dollars. So that's an enormous increase in cost. So referral medicine, I think, has gone crazy. Um, I don't, I don't want to say it's entirely their fault because you know, again, as I noted, you got to keep the lights on 24/7 staff 24/7. You have to have these specialists, and you have to be able to afford all that specialized equipment, while at the same time afford the technical support packages, which can be, you know, you don't know how to fix a CT, so you need a technical support package. I know, I know, for my digital X-ray, which is not as highly technical as a CT scanner or an MRI, but my digital X-ray still a highly technical device that I don't know how to fix, so I have a package that uh, the the company the, the company that sells the digital X-ray offers. It's about you know. 370 some dollars a month that I can call, we can call whenever we need technical support to troubleshoot the device. So when you have 10 or 15 such devices in your hospital, you know, just the technical support alone, I can't imagine what that costs. So I think that with less referral patients, that's what led them down that path. Now, I have seen the cost level off, and I, and I, I hope that continues to be the case. I hope that you know general inflation meaning the salaries of people and the of course the increased cost of things over time that just naturally occurs more or less over time, I hope those two things will catch up to that leveled off price because you know sometimes i I'll, I'll I'll quote prices to some people well what, what do you think that may cost me to you know get that referral and i'll I'll say, you know, last one I referred ended up costing the person this much money and they think, well, that's out of the question, doc. I can't do that. What can you do here? So, you know, at some point it's got to level off, right? You know, I think that, uh, you know, we're going to find that people just aren't doing it. So, you know, in that regard, yes, the cost of care on the referral side has skyrocketed. Now let's go to general practice. What has happened in general practice? I will say that, you know, patient with patient visits down, we have... Definitely seen some practices respond by jacking up prices, but that isn't a very good model for general practice because basically when people start feeling like they're being gouged in general medicine, they're just going to pick up their records and go someplace else. They may do it disparagingly. They may have a hard time saying goodbye to their veterinarian that they've seen for many years, the veterinary practice they've seen for many years. But by and large, if they're feeling like they're being gouged, they feel like the cost of veterinary care is becoming uh, exceptionally high and exceeding what is a reasonable increase just to do, due to general inflation, they're going to pull the records and go somewhere else. And, you know, it just happens. So, so I think the free market, for the most part, keeps general medicine in check. And, and what we're looking at mostly in general medicine is an increase in cost based on the rate of inflation. What does the rate of inflation do? Inflation increased the cost of doing business. So our laboratory fees, you know, we want to send out a biopsy. We have to send it to a laboratory. The laboratory increases its fees, usually based on inflationary measures, and we have to keep pace with it. If we don't keep pace with it, ultimately it becomes cost prohibitive to send off laboratory specimens. And it's not just biopsies we're talking about specialized blood work, we're talking about regular blood work, we're talking about stool analysis, we're talking about, you know, everything that we do diagnostically that gets has to be interpreted by pathologists, clinical pathologists, or uh, technicians in a laboratory setting. So that's a big bulk of what we're doing in veterinary medicine is diagnostics. And, and so that cost has to be, when it goes up, it has to be passed on to the consumer because otherwise we eat the cost and then we end up going out of business. And, and so what else are we looking at? We're looking at inventory costs, So the medicines, the injectables, the anesthetics, the pain management, the heartworm preventives, the flea and tick preventives, shampoos, topicals. Basically, folks, everything that we have to purchase from a medical distributor, veterinary medical distributor, the cost of these things goes up over time as inflation influences them. Luckily, in most cases, it's it's going to be an inflationary measure, so it's going to be based on the rate of inflation over a certain period of time. Inflation in the last few years has been around three plus percent currently. My financial advisor uh, enlightened me that the rate of inflation is three point seven five percent, and he projects that it's going to be there in that vicinity for the next several years. So, when you have a it, an inflation that is increasing by 3.75% every year, that adds up. It's compounding. So anybody who has, say, a simple IRA or 401K or 529 funds for their children's college, why do you throw money into these things? You throw money into them because you're making somewhere between 5 and 8% on the money. And as you throw money into it, the interest compounds. So when you reach the point where you have to pull out the 529 to pay for your child's education, the interest has compounded, and what you put in, you have a, a rate of return on. And when you look at inflation, it does the same darn thing. It compounds itself. So the cost of, say, doing a general blood test six years ago is going to be very different from what it is today because each year it's been around 35 to 4% that it's got it's had to go up, go up, go up, go up, and it compounds itself because it's the it's the three to four percent on top of last year's three to four percent, on top of the previous year's three to four percent, and over time it compounds just like that simple IRA does in terms of value. So when you look at that, that's generally where we've been in general practice. We're just increasing cost based on inflationary measures. The problem though, ladies and gentlemen, is that the earning power of the average American has gone up net zero. So in that same period of time, we're not seeing the salaries and earning power of the average pet owner go up. And therein lies the problem, and therein lies the perception that the cost of general veterinary care has skyrocketed. It really hasn't. It's just gone by the normal metrics of inflation. The problem is people's salaries are not keeping up with inflation. So from their perspective, of course it seems like costs are skyrocketing because they're not making any more money than they were six years ago, ten years ago even. And that's a problem. And it's something that we're going to have to overcome, not just as an industry, but as consumers. All of you, ladies and gentlemen, are going to have to find a way to reconcile that. And I'm not saying... Oh, you got to go out and find a better job that pays better. No, um, if you're in a field that, and 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 you know you're you're barely getting an increase in wage each year, until this economy one day uh, makes a dramatic turn where you know we're we're in that state of prosperity like we were in in the in the mid to late '90s. You know, during during certain eras we can we can look back on where you know it, it seems like. Uh, there were certain times where you could not make money, where everybody who wanted a job had a job. All those times, you know, I'd like to think we're going to see those again, but at the same time, it's hard to have confidence to know when that's going to happen. So if we recall, anybody who is a, you know, a student of history, the Great Depression lasted 13 years, okay? So this Great Recession a lot of economists will say, you know what, it's not really a recession. It's a depression, okay? And we have to really realistically look at, look at it that way. The reason it doesn't have quite the same impact as the Great Depression is because there's a lot more social safety nets in place now that have prevented a lot of the tragedy that we saw of the Great Depression that kind of put a floor on things. But at the same token, you know, those social safety nets are becoming... Unsustainable as well, so we got a lot of fixing to do economically. How we get there, that's not my expertise, and I'm not going to really go down that road. But what we have to do as an industry is we need to figure out a solution because you know the free market again, by and large, dictates where we're going. But at the same token, you know, there's only so much uh, price competition that General Clinics can undergo before you start seeing. A decline in the quality of the medicine. Great example is, and I've talked about them quite a bit, the discount spay neuter clinics. You know, they're trying to crank out as many spay neuters as they can. But if you actually look at the way they're doing these, it's it's downright appalling in some cases. And I'm not going to indict every one of these that's out there, but I know the ones locally in my area, and it's it's a travesty how they're cutting corners using the cheapest, oldest anesthetics. In some cases, not putting a tracheal tube. Into the patient's airway, not intubating them like you're supposed to do for a general surgery. They're putting a mask on them. They're not using pain management period in some cases. They are not scrubbing their hands and gowning up for each procedure, wearing a cap and mask, doing horrific things in order to, you know, put out the cheapest price out there. But the patients are paying the price. The pet owners don't realize it, you know. They're duped into thinking they're getting the same service that the general clinic would get, but it's not the same service. So, you know, a lot of general clinics. You know, what I what I've done is I do I do spays and neuters, you know, not that frequently. You know, mostly I'm doing more specialized procedures, doing a lot of dentistry. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But the bottom line is that I'm not doing a lot of spays and neuters, nothing like I was doing pre two thousand eight, because so many people are resorting to going to these places either through desperation or, you know, somehow they, they rationalize or are made to believe that it's the same kind of service. But the bottom line is there's only so low I'm going to price compete because there's only so low I'm willing to go in terms of the quality of the medicine, what's best for the patient. I can't in good conscience do some of the things that are, that's going on in these, in these clinics. And, of course, you have the, the, the discount vaccine clinics that don't even examine your pet to just plug them with every vaccine under the sun and you got even the ones that you know pull up to a 7-eleven or a a local pharmacy and do shots out of the back of a wagon you know and, and that that's just that's just an awful paradigm of medicine they're using again the cheapest vaccines because the only way these these people are making money is by using the you know the cheapest vaccines that they can get their hands on and then they're not really tailoring the protocols. They're going to vaccinate your pet for everything, even if it's the disease that exists on another side of the country that we never see here. It's just really sad where that's gone. And I'm not going to engage in that either. But, you know, if I'm going to do a wellness visit, I'm going to examine the patient. I'm going to give the appropriate vaccines and I'm going to do early disease detection. And so the well visits have gone down at the same time, though, the sick visits have gone up. So Again, people wanting to avoid those referral centers, the 24-hour emergency paradigm, the referral medicine, they're going to come to us, and we're going to do the best we can in general practice. So it's kind of balanced itself out for the most part, but again, you know, if the average wage of the average pet owner is not going up significantly, but our costs continue to go up with inflation, something's got to balance out. So, where we cut costs, we we try to cut costs. And a great example back to dentistry. A dental, you know, we're talking about a general dental cleaning. What we've done is we have been very proactive in the the whole you know, catching the dental disease before it gets expensive and invasive. Grabbing those cases and really being proactive and telling the owner, "Look, we want us we want to do the cleaning right now right here when the when the gums are still reasonably healthy. There's not much bone loss. We want to do a cleaning. And since we have a young, healthy pet, for the most part, we're going to consider young, healthy pet five and under. We're going to just do a mini profile, not full blood work, but a mini profile of liver, liver and kidneys. We're, we're going to maximize our efficiencies and our protocols to keep the cost as low as possible. And as a result, our dental cleanings have not gone up. The costs have not gone up since 2008. And the reason for that is finding these efficiencies and catching these cases early and, and just having that better communication with the pet owner. Of course, when things get horrific and we need to engage in extractions, we need to do uh, antibiotic infusions into the gum pockets so that we can save the teeth, things like that, that becomes more expensive. And of course, that paradigm of dental care probably has gone up a bit since 2008, but when it comes to the general dental dental cleaning, we have it priced about the same. Spays and neuters, about the same as well. Um, You know, even though these discount clinics are doing them even dirt cheaper, you know, there's only so low we're willing to go, but that's another item where our prices have stayed about the same because we've learned to do it more efficiently and really tailor it to the patient and their individual needs rather than have blanket protocols, and we've really painstakingly done this. So as a result, you know, we actually eat some cost by keeping that price low, but that's okay because I would rather, you know, come in with a little bit less profit on each thing but have it done correctly. Know that my patient's getting treated optimally, not going off to some place that's, you know, a little more than a hack clinic. Um, So that's what we're doing in the industry to control cost. You know, again, efficient protocols cutting costs where we can without reducing the quality of care. On the pet owner side, you have your responsibility as well. Your responsibility, folks, is to engage in things like, we've talked about my $50 rule, sack away $50 a month per pet, per month, and keep a savings account, an interest-bearing savings account. That will generally cover... The cost of veterinary care in that pet's life, you know, unless you're talking about an English bulldog, maybe bump that up to 100 bucks a month, or you know, a German shepherd. That you know, these, some of these breeds that are known for having all kinds of <laughs> diseases and problems and genetic predispositions. But for your average pet, 50 bucks a month, put away in the account that you never touch, other than for veterinary care throughout the course of its life, you're going to be in good shape. The other thing is pet insurance. Um, you know, I, I look at the pet owners with pet insurance, and they never hesitate to do anything. They don't hesitate to do anything because they know that they're going to be reimbursed for 80 to 90% of whatever they're having to do. Um, and, and let me recommend this, this particular insurance company. Trupanion, phenomenal company. They reimburse 90% of the premium and they will, or I'm sorry, 90% of the cost of veterinary care. Their premiums are reasonable, the deductibles are reasonable, and they reimburse you within three business days, which is incredible. You know, so I see my patients with Trupanion and they come in, you know, these owners do everything all the time. They'll run the blood work. They'll take the extra measure. They'll even go for the referral medicine, you know, because they know that even if it's, you know, $5,000 situation, 90% of that's going to come back to them in three, three business days after they submit the claim. So, you know, you have your responsibility as well. I think, I think eventually everything's going to work out. I think enough pet owners, I see, I see the increased interest in, in, in pet insurance, you know, right now, 3% of, of American pet owners have pet insurance. It does seem to be increasing. If you compare to Canada and Europe, 50% of pet owners have pet insurance. So you, you see actually a higher level of care in these countries because of the fact that people have this, this backup. I think the difference is that he, people are so dissatisfied and disillusioned with, you know, their their experience with human, veterinary, or human um Insurance companies that the idea of having insurance for their pets is appalling, and dealing with yet another insurance company. But trust me, folks, it's a good idea. Do your research and pick the right company. I'm not going to sit here and advertise. Um, that's not my intention at all. I just, you know, when I mention True penion it's because they really work in partnership with the veterinarians. I appealed the case the other day. They didn't want to. Um, they didn't want to pay it out. They considered it part of a pre-existing condition that the dog had been treating, treated for. I explained to them in a letter that no, there, there's no correlation here to pre-existing. They found in favor of the client and paid out the claim. So, you know, when you have these experiences, it makes you feel good to, to talk about them. Um, so that's my show for tonight. It, I'm looking forward to seeing the um, the email comments come in. Remember that you can always send me, if you don't want to call in live necessarily, you can send me uh, emails, comments at web-dvm.net, comments at web-dvm.net. Submit your Comments, concerns, questions, anything we talk about on the show, love to hear your thoughts, especially on this one. Uh, this, will, this will be an interesting one. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the comments. Going to take a little time off here going on a business conference, uh, the part of the industry that really doesn't excite me, but it's got to be done. You have to have a healthy practice from a financial uh, aspect to provide the best level of care, be able to take care of your employees and all that. So off to a business conference, but um, I will come back to you. In about 10 to 14 days, I will pre-announce the next uh, show, and like I said, we're going to talk about hyperbaric chamber next, and uh, I'm working on getting a board-certified surgeon to come on and talk about it with us, so that's what I'll be working on the next uh, 10 to 14 days, booking that particular surgeon as well as getting that show ready, and um, I will talk to you when I get back. Everyone, thank you, as always, for taking the time to listen. Have a wonderful day. No purchase necessary void are prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.